I loved school. I loved to go to school. And I, I love putting on that, uh, that image of being like a good student who was getting good grades. And, um, <clears throat> and I would always mask what I was feeling. I was often feeling awkward and um, embarrassed and self-conscious. Uh, my home was often chaos. And uh, there was a lot of pain in my life and uncertainty. And I, um, and I would keep that secret and try to invent a new persona that I would show the world. And I would try to make sure that no one could guess who I really was inside. Uh, and alcohol, even when I was little, really helped with that because then I felt like a different person. It wasn't just like I was acting like a different person. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. All right. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, Damien Davis here with Our Collective Journey uh, with a From Darkness to Life podcast brought to you by our uh, this season sponsor, my uh, amazing sister-in-law. Nicole Davis with Nicole Davis Realtor on Instagram or at www.nicoledavisrealestate.com and that's Nicole with an H. Um, we're here at the Plugged In Media Network here at uh, the Gas Lamp Studio in Medicine Hat with three amazing recovery coaches that uh, have just joined our collective journey. Uh, this is a one of a three-part podcast series that we're going to release kind of outlining what the recovery coach school program looks like for school district 76, um, the Prairie Rose school division and the Catholic school division in our community. So we're going to, uh, spend a little bit of time getting to know, uh, two more of our recovery coaches here on this, uh, episode of, uh, from darkness to life podcast. Um, I'll go around the table asking everybody how they're doing and see, uh, how they're doing this afternoon. So Tara, how are you doing? Great. Yeah, what makes yeah, you great? Because it's nice. It's sunny outside. There's no snow. It just makes you feel like you have energy and alive again. Yeah, the sun the sun sure makes it feel uh, more alive out there, I'll tell you that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love it. Cool. Makes me think of spring coming shortly. Uh, here's, here's hoping. Yeah. yeah. Kimberly, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I don't know that spring can come fast enough, but I'm also looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little nervous because this is my first podcast, but I'm really looking forward to just talking with the team and sharing what we're excited about with our new program. Yeah. hundred percent. Todd. Damien. Yeah. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing really well. I'm uh, kind of fighting a little bit of a, I don't know what it is, sickness, but I'm, yeah, I'm feeling better today. That's, that's for sure. Good. Yeah. Yourself? Yeah. Oh, a little bit nervous for the podcast, but excited. I yep. listened to a lot of podcasts myself, so now I get to be on the other end. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's intimidating. You come in here, there's some mics and some headphones and, you know, you want to sh share your experience, I guess, in a concise manner. And it is a little bit nerve wracking to, to share, not knowing who the audience is going to be. Hey, yeah. 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 I was kind of like we were talking about earlier, we were talking about, um, at the beginning of these podcasts, um, really talking about you know, our authentic feelings in, in the moment and not those stock responses. So, you know, I appreciate you, Kimberly, saying you're a little bit nervous and Todd saying you're a little bit nervous. And like Dave said, uh, within about five or 10 minutes, those nerves go away and we just start sharing and, and yeah. everything's good. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, this is, uh, the second taping of, uh, of, uh, this series of podcasts. And for the listeners out there, uh, we're kind of introducing each of our recovery coaches, uh, in a hopes of uh, you getting to know them better, getting to know, you know, what their journey to this point in life was, and then how uh, we're going to be supporting the students, uh, staff, and and community at large in Medicine Hat here. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to introduce, uh, well, anybody between Kimberly and Todd got a desire to to start off by sharing their story and introducing yourself to the audience. I think Kimberly was pointing her finger at Todd. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see. It looks I, like I have a burning desire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I see you've got your book open, Todd, with yeah, a whole yeah, pile no, of I notes. Mean, so. I'm ready to go. I can talk about myself if you want. Yeah, yeah Todd, tell us, uh, uh, tell us yeah, your story. I mean, uh, my name's Todd Lindsay. I grew up in uh, 
little place called Camrose, Alberta. So not far from here, but a little bit further north. So spring comes a lot later there than here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I am a recovered alcoholic. Um, I've been sober for just over 10 years now. Um, I mean, I guess what that looks like. I, I started drinking when I was, uh, I think, I remember having my first drink when I was about 12. Uh, I know there's a photo of me sitting on my dad's lap after work, sipping on a beer. And I think uh, that was probably when I was around five or six. And I don't remember feeling uh, anything from that, but I do remember what happened when I had my first drink when I was 12. Um, Made me feel like I belonged. It made me feel... made me feel the way that everybody looked on the outside. I felt like, uh, uh, I felt like my life was worth living. Um, and I actually could feel feelings and I didn't feel guilty or shame, uh, about those. Um, I had a pretty decent childhood. I loving mother and father, but, um, my dad could be very abusive. Um, both, emotionally and physically. Um, I believe he was just doing the best he could with, with what he had at the time. But, um, but I mean, the, the main theme around our house was just being good. And as long as everything was good and okay, then everything seemed to flow fairly well. And uh, if my dad was mad, then, you know, things weren't so good. Um, so uh, I believe my dad has uh bit of a substance problem as well but uh he's always been able to just kind of take care of himself and and not let it affect him too much but uh i know being around my dad he was always more enjoyable to be around after he had a few drinks um and knowing what i know now i mean that's the perfect definition of a dry drunk if anyone needs a drink uh in a room today it's that guy and uh everyone's kind of walking on pins and needles until that point so um but I mean, I made it through uh, through my childhood and through high school without too many uh, bad or ad- adverse things happening and uh, knew I didn't want to stick around home. So as soon as I was done high school, I uh, moved to Edmonton and went to school for culinary arts. I got my uh, diploma in culinary arts and my journeyman and my red seal. Um, and then I started working in restaurants and uh, was very good at it. Um, I got to travel around the world, do competitions, things like that. Worked in some pretty amazing restaurants. And uh, the whole time I was doing that, I was in uh, actively using alcohol and drugs uh, pretty much any time I could. It um, kind of goes hand in hand with that industry. You, At the end of the night, when you start cleaning up, lots of times you have a beer or a drink and it's perfectly acceptable. So, um, But I mean, even back then I could see... Um, my alcoholism starting to rear its head a little bit. Uh, always being the last guy to party, always being the last guy at the bar, um, and and wondering why is everyone going home? Like we're just getting started here, kind of thing. Um, but I mean the. Uh, so I like to think of it in in terms of diminishing returns. And uh, in high school, I could drink with virtually no consequences at all. And uh, same with in college, and then. Once I started working, it, it's, it was a bit of more of a balancing act, but I could still hold it together. Um, I moved out of the country for a couple of years and just uh, kind of followed, followed cooking and, and drinking and, and having fun. And that was, uh, that was my life until I was about 30. And uh, met a girl, got her pregnant, classic story, <laughs> and uh, had a baby. And uh, we decided it would be best for everyone if we both stopped drinking. Um, and so she was able to do that with virtually no consequence and her life immediately got better. Um, I quit and I couldn't stay stopped. Um, and, uh, that was when I started to find out that, uh, I might have a problem. I might be an alcoholic. And, uh, so, I mean, what defines me as an alcoholic today is what happens to me when I start drinking and when I stop drinking. Uh, when I start, I develop the phenomena of craving and uh, I can't stop until I either pass out or, or something bad happens. 
Um, and then when I do stop, instead of my life getting better, I just obsess over alcohol or anything else that will kind of get me that sweet relief that, that I craved so much. Um, yeah, I understand that, uh, the disease concept of, of addiction and alcoholism, you know, I, something that really propelled OCJ forward at the beginning was the, the misinformation or the lack of understanding on what being an alcoholic actually is. And I think you just explained it perfectly, Todd, was that it, you know, drugs and alcohol weren't my problem. They were my solution. And when you took my solution away, things got pretty twisted up in my head, which caused me to go back to the thing that was killing me ultimately, which was the booze and the alcohol. But what all, what I also heard was there was a fun period of time when I was out drinking and, and using until it wasn't right. Right. And, and I don't know at what point I stepped across that line. All I know is that when it was across that line, yeah, life got pretty tough. <clears throat> Well, and that was, uh, it was very confusing when I crossed that line because uh, my friends and my dad and other people, they could just kind of put the plug in the jug, if you were, and their lives got better and, and they did well. Um, whenever I put the plug in the jug, I just, I got into more trouble and things started to go sideways for me. Um, and I mean, I really wanted to stop. I knew if I stopped, my life overall would be better. I wanted to be there for my daughter and uh, her mom and my parents and all that stuff. But uh, every time I did, uh, I just, I couldn't, the feelings kept getting worse and worse, not better and better. Um, and so that was at, at that point, I started to see an addictions counselor and uh, started attending AA meetings. And uh, that wasn't quite enough uh, to get me to the point I wanted to be. So um, I ended up going to Claire's home to a three-week treatment program there. Um, had a really great time there. I definitely was not ready for sobriety at that point. Uh, it gave me a good, uh, chance to rest up, um, learn some really interesting things about myself and, uh, learn a little bit more about addiction, but it really didn't do much for my alcoholism. Uh, I came back and I tried to attend AA meetings, uh, 12 step meetings, um, but I quickly relapsed and, and it was just a series of relapses over and over again. Um, and I mean, that took me to a point of, I was in the hospital a couple of times, ambulance rides, backup police cars, things like that. And just uh, constantly trying to clean up the wreckage of a week or a month ago and almost trying to clean up the wreckage of the future just because I knew what was going to happen. It had been happening over and over again. And uh, nothing I was doing would make it stop. And everyone just wanted to know why and how and why do you keep doing this? And um, so, I mean, it took me to the point of insanity. I, uh, my family found a psychiatrist and she diagnosed me with uh, alcoholism and social anxiety disorder. So I got institutionalized in Pinocchio. Um And I mean, that kind of... Uh, that really made things real. Um, I, there was not a place that I wanted to be. Um, but also at the same time, I knew I was safe there. And I knew, unfortunately, that that was a place I needed to be at that time. Um, and so it did give me a place to, uh, that was really my jumping off point. That's where I decided to, um, to actually work a 12-step program instead of just uh, trying to do it by osmosis or um, doing half the amount of work to kind of get the full results. Um, so I did. So when I was there, I met some really great people, um, and was able to make contact with that original addictions counselor. And he got me into a long-term treatment program in Lloyd Minster, uh, that was called Thorpe Recovery. And it was, uh, that was a lifesaver for me. I got to work with a counselor there who was also recovered alcoholic. Um, so we, went through some of the 12 steps and uh, just worked on a lot of other things too. And it was a, a really safe uh, place for me to start my recovery. And uh, so I was there for a couple of months and, and came home and just kind of started over again and was able to do that. And uh, through continued work in a 12 step program, 
uh, therapy and uh, working with others, I've been able to maintain sobriety since then. Um, but I mean, it's definitely uh, a combination of a lot of different things that got me to where I am today. Um, and, so, and, and so with the recovery coaching then, so, you know, been sober for 12 years? Just over 10. Oh, yeah. 10 years. I'm yeah. giving, giving you a couple of years. Yeah. There, but, <laughs> so 10 years sober and, you know, uh, owning restaurants, you're a chef, you know, what has transpired in the last couple of years that got you to this point where you're now working, working with schools in the school division as a recovery coach. Right. So, I mean, uh, I mean, basically my lived experience, I guess, uh, I got to experience, um, all different avenues of, of, uh, 12 steps and Alberta health services and doctors and, and police officers and things like that. Everyone's trying to help you, but, um, there's obviously, uh, or there are a lot of different services and different ways to access those services. And, and I think for me, that was, um, I felt like I could have gotten help faster or possibly earlier in my life if I would have known what I know now. Um, and I'm no expert on the subject by any means. It's, um, but it just, it, it's always been kind of, especially where I was from, uh, everyone's dirty little secret and, and nobody really talked about addiction um, or alcoholism. It was something that was always kind of swept under the rug. Um, and so now I continue, I mean, the secret sauce for me, for my sobriety and my recovery is working with others. So, I mean, there's nothing uh, that I can do today that's that's more effective for myself than working with others. And, and uh, so I see a great opportunity in recovery coaching, uh, just sharing my experiences with other people that might be struggling or they might know other people that are struggling um, and just kind of navigating uh, what recovery might look like for them. And uh, being support there, being answering the phone when they, when they call kind of thing. So like Damien's mentioned it before, we don't turn our phones off at four o'clock every night. We're going to be there um, when somebody reaches out for help. Because I know for me, when I wanted help, uh, I only wanted it for, for a short period of time. And then once I kind of got my confidence back, I, I knew everything again and I didn't need any help. And um, addiction and alcoholism is... Uh, it's the only disease that I know of that keeps telling you that you're going to be okay. You got this. It, it encourages you to keep, to be sick basically and to stay sick. Um, and so it's, it's deceptive. It's cunning, baffling and powerful. It's, it's really tricky stuff. And uh, I just, I know that I can help other people uh, to try and find some of the peace and serenity that I found in my life. Um, I've been able to, yeah, like Damien said, run businesses and uh, I got married a couple of years ago and I'm a father to my daughter and I'm a stepfather to uh, a bunch of other kids now. And it's, uh, you know, it's all I wanted to do was uh, stay sober for a little while and stop wrecking everyone else's life. And what I've gotten uh, as a result of just digging in and doing a little bit of work is so much more than that. It's, it's another life that I've been given. So, and I think, you know, you touched on it. It was something that was freely given to you. Right. And now you get that opportunity to, to give it back in a, uh, a bigger capacity to maybe the students in the schools who, like you said, what if I would have heard these messages earlier? Absolutely. How much more quickly could I have gotten, gotten to a place of wellness? Right. Right. Because yeah. I know as a 30-year-old adult trying to pick up that phone to call an addictions counselor or something was hard enough. I can't imagine a 12 or 13-year-old having to make those kinds of calls or decisions on their own. So, yeah. um, And I know that even the best parents or parents with the best intentions might not be able to navigate those situations either. Um, so, I mean, we can be there for, for those people. Yeah. Yeah, to use our life experience to help navigate the scary world of recovery, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing, Todd. You're yeah. welcome. Yeah. Miss Kimberly, would you uh, like to share your story with us? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Todd. I never, I think this is like the third time I've heard your story and I always <laughs> hear something new when you're talking and I really enjoy listening to it. So um, I have a bit of a different story than Todd. And I think that 
um, our team is is really nice because we're unique in the sense that we all have very different stories. So we we all can relate to I think a certain um, area of people, and whomever is coming and looking for recovery coaching can usually find one of us that uh, that can really relate to what they're going through. So. Um, my story, um, I, I like to say I was born an alcoholic because uh, I was a very colicky baby. And my parents would tell me that the only thing that would calm me down was to give me a bottle of whiskey, like whiskey in my baby bottle. And then I would, uh, I would be able to quiet down and go to sleep. And of course, I have no memories of that. But I do have very early memories of, um, of being a young toddler or a young child. And um, my father would ask me to go to the fridge and get him a beer. And I'd go to the fridge and get him a beer, but I'd take the beer tax on the way. So I'd crack the lid and I would chug as much of that beer as I could, walking it back to uh, to the couch and giving it to my dad. And it was kind of funny and that I could drink like a quarter of a beer in between, like we had a small house in between the kitchen and, um, and the sofa for everybody. And and uh, that progressed to me being a bit of an older child in my, you know, seven to ten years. And I would just love hearing that there was going to be a party. My grandparents lived in the same city as us. They were great party hosts. And um, and I knew that there was going to be alcohol there. They'd have the wine in the box. And I'd go, like, pull that little plastic tab and, like, get as much of the wine out of the box before someone else would come into, like, the kitchen for an appetizer. And, um, and even at that young age, I would get excited for any type of opportunity that I knew that I was going to be um, able to drink. And I especially liked the thrill of the secretiveness of that. And a big theme in my life was keeping secrets. So, you know, I, um, I loved, I loved school. I loved to go to school and I, I loved putting on that, uh, that image of being like a good student who was getting good grades. And, um, <clears throat> and I would always mask what I was feeling. I was often feeling awkward and, um, embarrassed and self-conscious. Uh, my home was often chaos and, uh, there was a lot of pain in my life and uncertainty. And I, um, and I would, keep that secret and try to invent a new persona that I would show the world and I would try to make sure that no one could guess who I really was inside uh, and alcohol even when I was little really helped with that because then I felt like a different person it wasn't just like I was acting like a different person so uh, for me drinking was very normal and drinking was very fun when I was really young and I was able to kind of keep everything together um, my first experience getting drunk it was um, definitely a red flag that I was going to have problems later in my life I was in grade six at this time and I had drank a lot up until that point but I hadn't gotten blitzed so we were having a party at one of my girlfriend's houses and I really wanted to impress her so I stole some liquor and I brought it over to the party I kind of passed it around to everybody thinking they'd be into it and they really weren't like they just wanted to have a sleepover and watch movies and do their makeup and here I am with this bottle being like you guys weren't cool at all and I uh probably finished most of a two six in grade six to myself and ended up throwing up all over their house and trying they called my parents and I was trying to get out to the vehicle and they people had to pick me up and drag me because I couldn't like walk and I was definitely had alcohol poisoning and that was my first experience being very drunk and it didn't cross my mind not to drink again that wasn't a thought for me my thought was how do I do this better because that was heck of embarrassing right um, so in my own life, um, I really had a lot of shame over who I was. I had a lot of shame over the way that I dealt with things. And usually my solutions brought me more trouble. So I had a lot of really well-adjusted friends who would go through the normal issues that we were going through in elementary and junior high school, and they would deal with it in really well-adapted ways. They'd go home. My, my best friend had a great relationship with her mom. She'd go home, talk it out with her mom, have a good cry. They'd watch a movie together, and, you know, the next day she'd be okay. And my solutions were always really the other way around. They were very dark. Got to keep this a secret. I would self-harm. I had suicidal ideation. I was always looking for something to make me feel better. And I was never open and honest with people about that. Um, so I, uh, I continued to mask my own, <laughs> my own life and 
that was fairly successful. Um, in junior high school, my parent, um, my parents separated, and my mom really did start to see some of the symptoms that I was um, attempting to hide. I was getting, I was getting worse at it. I wasn't able to, so I saw doctors and um, counselors, and I went um, into some of the psychiatric programs at the hospital, and they prescribed medications. They diagnosed me with depression, with anxiety. They um, put me in different like programs to try to help me, but none of that touched addiction, nor was addiction ever really considered as a factor in what I was going through. The questions were never asked. The evidence was never found. <laughs> and so um, in my mind, I was getting away with what I wanted to get away with. I was able to use, I was able to have all these people trying to help me and have this mystery, you know, um, affliction. <laughs> And I just was identified as this dark person that needed help. But, but really, I knew at that point that, that my problem was using and it wasn't um, something that I wanted to fix. It was something that I identified with. So by the time I hit grade 10, things were really out of control for me. Um, I, was, um, I had started a job with older kids. They had lots of access to harder drugs. And I got into a lot of different crowds there and, and my drinking turned into smoking marijuana and that turned into doing ecstasy now this is i'm old so this is like back in the early 90s and then um that turned into doing a lot of cocaine and um in grade 10 i was dealing drugs out of my locker and i had a big fight at school with somebody there and was suspended for or expelled from school and <laughs> ran away from home and ended up on the streets so um that that year for me at aged, I guess I'd been 15 turning 16 at that age, uh, really everything really did start to crumble down. Um, but I wasn't thinking when I was in those darkest mornings, kind of waking up, not knowing where I was going to stay that night. I wasn't thinking what's happened to me. How did my life become derailed and what happened to all the potential that I had when I was doing well in school? I was thinking like, where am I going to get my next fix? You know, that was that was my primary thought. So um, I, I went away and spent some time at my dad's. And that was a really dark time for me. I, I had wanted to kind of end it all. I'd been taken away from all my suppliers. So I wasn't, I wasn't able to access drugs and alcohol. And um, when I came back, I was put into a program. And so I was 16 years old when I entered recovery for the first time. And it was a fairly new program. So there wasn't a lot of people that went through it. But um, after an initial resistance period in which I was very adamant that I didn't want or need this, um, and it was very difficult to work with, something changed in me. And I, I slowly began to see that I, that I was in trouble. And as that happened, and as I think I detoxed, <laughs> um, I began to feel the pain that I had been carrying around for a long time. And when I went through this process of treatment, I, I bought in. And um, I don't think anybody was more surprised than I was that I had bought into this. And as soon as I started to begin to feel um, the benefits of sobriety, what it's like to wake up and not feel guilty, what it's, not to, what it's like not to have to make everything a secret and just to be able to be honest and to be accepted for that, and then to be able to line up my problems and start to deal with actually what was affecting me negatively and not just pretend to be somebody that I wanted to be, but actually be able to become somebody that I'd be proud of. I really held on to that. So, um, so I got sober at 16 and 17. And by the time I was 17 and had gone through my first, um, through my first journey through the 12 steps, I was a hundred percent committed to sobriety. This for me was life-changing I had a I had like a new found not even a new found like I'd never felt the type of peace and happiness and confidence and hope that I had felt then and I finally kind of figured out that peace and I'd look at everybody and think you know like I'm missing what they have I'm, I'm missing what everybody else had I don't have it and I was always searching for it and, and it was there so um fairly so I got I got sober fairly young, and there weren't a lot of people that were my friends that I had used with um, that did, and there weren't a lot of people that I went through treatment with that stayed sober either. So I was um, 
I kind of had a unique experience of going through my uh, late teen and early 20 years in my young adulthood um, being in sobriety and just really trying to stay sober and build a life that I could be proud of. And um, my best friend during that time was 80 years old <laughs> and, you know, just a, just a sweet little lady in AA that really helped me along. And um, I tried to get, get support where I could. And eventually, um, my father passed away from uh, an addiction being a very big piece of how he passed. And I was inspired to work with youth um, and try to give back some of what I had received as a youth going through um, addictions. So um, for for many years, I did that. I worked with youth in treatment center um, environment, um, p- people that were going through addictions in different stages. And in the later part of my career, I worked with people that were man- youth that were mandated to a program that was um, a really intensive treatment center for for kids that were sort of the last the last stop. Everything else had happened, and nothing else had worked. <laughs> so um, one of the big reasons that I'm excited to join the Our Collective Journey team is that with the youth that I've worked with in, within my own experience, the um, the common phrase that I hear is, "I wish." Um, I could have known this earlier. I wish I could have gotten help earlier. And not everyone is willing to get help earlier. But I know um, for myself, having had the opportunity to get sober at 16 and 17 really changed my life in a way that I could have a constructive life starting from that point and moving forward. I didn't need to go any further down. I didn't need to drink until I was in my 40s and had lost everything. I really could build and I could look at some of my peers that were also in addiction and many of them have lost their lives and not not many of them have been able to really have the um have the jumping off point early enough to be able to build from where from where they were at. So that's something that I'm really excited to be able to share with the youth in Medicine Hat and talk about how it's not not too early, you know, and to um, to really hear that message and to be able to put in some healthy um, patterns and to address some addictions issues um, or even just concerns with people that they know or their family and talk about uh, how life can improve uh, even when you're young. Yeah. <clears throat> Every time I hear your story, it, uh, it amazes me as well, Kimberly, just like what you said about Todd. It, uh, I guess when we, what I hear from you is like, whenever we decide to stop digging, that can be our bottom. Right. And it doesn't always have to necessarily mean losing everything. Uh, it's just when we're done losing a piece of ourselves, that's when we can, can reach out and ask for help. And, um, what we are doing as recovery coaches is we're going to be there for people. Um, Tara. Yeah. What do you think about uh, what we're doing? I think it's going to be amazing. And I like that the youth can come to us and we, we won't judge them. They can tell us whatever, cause we're just not going to judge. We've probably been there or very similar into a same circumstance they've been in. Right. Um, we'll be able to connect with them and really um, empathize with them and be able to have that feeling of understanding. Yeah. I think that's what the power of our collective journey is, is that it's not somebody reading from a book of what they think you're experiencing or feeling or going through. It's actually people that got sober at 16 or, you know, had to go to some pretty, gnarly places to to find out what you were taught and then be able to take the steps to get sober and you know i can only speak for myself but i'm a i wish i would have learned the 12 steps or the the fundamentals of 12 steps in junior high school right and um where my life would have been but that wasn't my story i had to go through some some stuff to get to a point where i got to learn to live the way i'm supposed to live and what if we can use that experience just to share with others and plant those seeds you know so that when you're yeah. done losing that piece of yourself that you know that we're a, a safe space or a safe person to come talk to right? Yeah. Absolutely. So who wants to tell everybody what recovery coaching is? <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to do it? Todd and I still need to finish up yeah. recovery coaching. Yeah. So, uh, I think we'll leave it up so, to you guys. You're the experts. So, yeah. So because we're, you know, introducing the recovery coaches and we are taking this, this pilot program into 
SD 76, uh, right away. What recovery coaching is, is it's peer to peer support where we can help different people navigate, um, and avoid the barriers that are in front of them on their recovery journey. Right. Um, like Todd said, I'm not an expert on this, but what I am is somebody that's went through the system, um, seen where the gaps are or seen where the roadblocks can be. And then we as recovery coaches, um, work with the student or the client, uh, in a capacity where we support them on their journey, you know, um, not every recovery method is going to work for every person and your journey is unique to you. And what we're there to do is to help guide you, you know, um, and be that safe place to fall back on if needed. Right. Um, like Todd said, we're here to be of service to our community. Um, when we got together for our collective journey, um, we're not the solution for everything, but what we are is we're going to help the different organizations within our community that are doing amazing work, um, by getting the students or getting, you know, whomever needs to get to a counselor, a therapist, uh, whatever that organization is, we're here to navigate that. So you don't have to walk alone. Um, also advocate, advocate for them. Right. So maybe a therapist isn't working for them and they're too scared to say it. So it's like, okay, let's see what other options, see what fits you. Right. And that we're still here with you, even though you can't connect with someone else or haven't found that right person. Yeah. Right. And I, and I like the idea of planting seeds in people's minds so yep. that uh, even one day, two, three, five years from now, when they're ready to reach out for help, they know where to reach out to. Or if they have a friend or family member that's ready to reach out for help, that there's somebody there for them too. Yeah. And I think, you know, we talked about it on the one of the other episodes of the, the series that we're doing is we're going to be that consistent face, that consistent, you know, group of people in the schools where it might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, it might not even be this year, but when you're ready and you reach out, like Todd said, we'll pick up the phone. And we are, you know, very people-focused, so we're 24 hours a day, you know. Rick, one of the founders of our collective journey, says it all the time, you know, if you call the number off our website, that goes directly to his cell phone, and, and you know, he'll pick it up at 3 in the morning um, because he knows, we know, that the window of willingness when somebody is in crisis or somebody needs support it's brief and we want to make sure that we give everybody the optimal chance of, of getting on the recovery boat or the recovery train, whatever that is for them. Right. Yeah. yeah. Did we talk about what we are not? We haven't yet. So we should bring that up. So what aren't yeah. we? We are not crisis workers, therapists, counselors, social workers, um, what am I amongst many other things yeah um, hats out there yeah we, we are not we're just regular people with lived experiences and so we our goal is to get you to those qualified people if that's your journey right yeah. um navigating those systems and those pitfalls like we mentioned so that you can get to the right therapist and not have to go to three or four and realize that they're not the fit. Um, we've built connections within our community to help people get to where they want to want to get to. And then working with the school resources that are already in place to support the students as best as possible. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think I went through like eight therapists before I found the right one for me. <laughs> I got similar right? stories too. How, yeah. about you, how about you, Kimberly? Oh yeah. I went through a few therapists, Yeah, quite a few therapists. And you know, it's, it's nice to have somebody that you can just say, Hey, this isn't working for me. And then like, uh, unpack that with somebody that mm -hmm. isn't your therapist. And I'm not saying you're not working for me. I'm just saying like, this person isn't working for me and have someone that's going to be there consistently. I think a lot of teachers have the objectives of, of making sure their kids pass the classes. I think a lot of therapists have the objectives of making sure that the, um, that their patients are meeting their outcomes and, and, and therapy is normally a very short-term arrangement um, by design. And we're not that, you know, we don't have any objectives other than what that person is is um, interested in setting for themselves. Like we're, you know, we're really a safe place that, that they can make mistakes and they can reroute the course that they want to take. And we can be with their th them 
there with them through many of those transitions as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the exciting part is, you know, we're each of us is on this journey of life alone, but we can kind of guide. And that's what excites me is that, you know, the teachers are doing amazing things, you know, and they're there with the students all the time and they're guiding them in, in their capacity, but we can guide in our capacity and kind of just be there on a different kind of empathetic level where we understand what you might be going through. Um, even if you don't know what that feeling is, and I'm 45 years old and there's days I don't know what <laughs> I'm feeling, which drives my wife crazy because she, she's like, well, how do you not know? And sometimes I just don't. And, and that's okay. And I never learned that as a, a youth, you know, coming up that it was okay not to know how you felt. And you know, what I did is I got angry. You know, if I didn't know what I was going through, anger kept everybody at bay, right? And let me get out in the world and attempt to survive, I guess, right? Yeah, because when you guys were sharing, you know, your story is my story. There's not much that's dissimilar uh, other than where we kind of grew up and, and when we got sober. Other than that, the feelings were exactly the same. The, uh, the outcome of, you know, where my drinking and drug use took me is pretty much the same. Uh, it's just that some of you partied a little bit harder than I did and got sober a little bit sooner than I did. <laughs> and, and for those listeners, it, it's funny that we can laugh about it now, but you know, when you're in it and it certainly isn't funny, but when you're on the other side of it and you're in recovery and, and life is good, um, we can laugh at those things, right? We can laugh at the insanity, but when you're in it, you sure can't, right? And we want to be there and let people know that it's all right to just be to be where they're at, right? Yeah. And I think it's important for people to hold themselves accountable too. And we help them do that through letting them kind of choose where they want to go and, and how they want to get helped. I know that was important for me to feel like I was finally doing something again and not just being taken care of by people or told or mandated what to do. I was taking some responsibility back myself and, and showing myself that I could be a good person or a healthy person. It's kind of like when you're invested in the decision, you become more, take more ownership of it. Right. You know, you, you go with it. And then what I learned in recovery is the responsibility part was I'm responsible regardless on the outcome. And, you know, I'm the only common denominator in every scenario of my life, good or good or bad. Um, and that's the same with recovery. I can choose to do some certain things and I can choose not to, and I'm responsible for those choices. Yeah. And I think one thing for uh, people that haven't been in recovery that's hard to understand is that we don't recover just to stop using drugs and alcohol. Like for us, it's got to be better. <laughs> like it's got to be better than what we had before, you know, and using drugs and alcohol can be really fun. <laughs> like it can be a great feeling for you. And if the feeling that you're not getting out of recovery and the life that you're not living out of recovery isn't by and large better, obviously there'll be, there'll be dark times and there'll be difficult moments, but, um, we like to say like my uh my worst day sober is better than my best day drunk you know so you know, the um the cumulative effect of being sober is so much better than recovery or than being in addiction otherwise we'd all go back otherwise none of us would be able to say you know i've got five years or 12 years or you know 21 years we would uh we would be back out there looking for something that works better so i think the exciting part is imparting to someone who might be struggling and might be looking for a solution that there are healthy solutions that feel better and also have like much better rewards than than using does yeah and it's i think it's in turn it's creating this recovery community of people that are thriving right because i didn't know what thriving looked like when i was in active addiction like i'm an engineer i haven't i've had an amazing oil and gas career i've traveled the world i've done all these things and by all measures of success i it looked like i was a successful human being right but getting sober and remaining sober and realizing that I can thrive at a level of, it's incomprehensible, right? Every year in sobriety for me has been a 10 and another 10 and another 10. And nobody ever taught me that. I was just, I didn't even realize I was just existing, you know, from, from basically the seventh grade until I was 36 years old, I was just going from one party to the next party, trying to blot out my existence uh, and the shame and the guilt of life with drugs and alcohol. Right. And, and it's, I don't know the time where it, I stepped across that line and it stopped working, but, uh, 
I can sit here now and be very grateful that I did step across that line because today I have the life of my dreams and I can model what that looks like for other people in our community so that they can also thrive and chase their dreams and their goals. And selfishly, it's doing, I'm doing it for my three little boys so that they can, uh, they can see what a, what a man can be or what a man is, um, one that's vulnerable and open and honest about his experience and, and then is being of service to his community like we all are, right? Cool. Any final thoughts? Todd, um, what are you excited about once we get into the schools? I'm really excited to work with the kids and just to uh, uh, have open ears and just listen and, and see what kids are looking for and what they're interested in and just try to educate more and uh, just show people that your friends might be sick. It doesn't mean that they're bad people. They just need help, maybe. Um, and you can help them. You don't have to be an expert or uh, a doctor, an addictions counselor to help out a friend that needs your help kind of thing. Um, and that's what we want to do, too, is just get people to those places that they want to go. So that's what I'm excited for. Yeah. And summer. <laughs> <laughs> Me, too. Yeah. How about you, Tara? What are you excited for? A lot. A lot. Um Connecting with the kids, hearing their stories, um, watching them grow as little people into um, who they want to be. And I think it's just great just to watch. Sit back and watch. I know I probably won't be in the schools like as much as some of our workers. I'll be in the office doing paperwork, but it'll be fun going to the schools and seeing kids, seeing that change because I'm not there all the time um, our workers might not see it the growth that they've done but i'll be able to see it cool yeah kimberly yeah i'm really i everybody said it like the reason we're here is for for the kids really and it's been a minute since i worked with youth so i am so excited to get back in there because i have done a lot of work with a lot of people of different ages and i love the like the vitality and like the ingenuity and the thought processes that youth have. Like when they, when, you know, when young people feel something, they feel it all the way. And when something's happening, like it's really happening. So I just, um, that energy and the, um, the perspective that youth bring to any discussion that I've ever had with a young person has always really taught me a lot. And I'm really interested in hearing the stories of the people that are in the schools, whether they're impacted by addiction or just want to come and talk to us and learn more about that. Um, um, and I'm really excited to, you know, see how that has a ripple effect in their communities, with their friends, with their parents, with, you know, teachers in the school system. I mean, we talk a lot about wanting to start a movement, you know, and um, I'm just really excited to sit across from, from somebody and just really hear what they want to say and then let them start their own little movement around that. Yeah, that's, I don't think you could have said it any better. It's it's about empowering the people that are in the schools that are already doing amazing things to take ownership and, and, you know, start this recovery journey for our community. You know, I think in the last couple of years, medicine hats went through a lot and we, as our collective journey are just collaborating to come up with solution to break down those barriers amongst everybody. Right. And I guess this is a collaborative effort between you know, the administrations, the or the staff, the students and us to come up with the solutions that best fit for each school, right? Um, inviting parents along too, to, they have amazing ideas and we at our collective journey don't have all the answers right now, but we'll work with you to find solution or, you know, collaborate with whomever to make sure that our community has the best chance of healing, right? Um, of changing, you know, systemically changing what, what's going on in the hopes of, you know, the students taking ownership of it and guiding themselves. Right. Um, because they're, they're the future leaders, you know, and they're the ones that, uh, you know, like Todd said, what if this, what, what would it have been like if somebody would have given the, me this message a little earlier, what could life look like? And, you know, maybe we, no, I'm not even going to say maybe I, I know we're making a difference. Um, we're very grateful, I think, as a team that we have the opportunity to go in and 
collaborate with the teachers, with the support staff in the schools, and especially, you know, to collaborate with the students on uh, making Medicine Hat uh, just a, a better, safer place to live, right? Yeah. Any any final thoughts from anybody? I just like how we have such a unique team. Yeah. Everybody's different, but yet similar, right? We can all connect on one way or another. And I think it's going to be fun and exciting to go in as a team. Yeah. So anybody that's listening, um, if you want to get a hold of anybody at our collective journey, you can get a hold of us through our website uh, or our Facebook, uh, Facebook messenger. Um, Just send us a note. If you have any questions, any concerns, uh, if you need clarity on anything, you know, that we uh, have said on the podcast or anything that we're doing in the schools, uh, please reach out and we'll, attempt to answer as best as possible. And if we don't know the answer, we'll find out for you. Um, so again, this is uh, one of a three part series introducing, you know, the recovery coaches for uh, the school districts, uh, school district 76, Prairie Rose and the Catholic school district in medicine hat. Um, this is a from darkness to life podcast uh, slash recovery coach introduction podcast um, brought to you by our title sponsor for this season, uh, Nicole Davis, my amazing sister-in-law, uh, at Nicole Davis Realtor on Instagram or her website, www.nicoledavisrealestate.com. Um, get a hold of her if you need to buy a house or sell a house. Um, and we're, uh, I guess, shutting down here from Plugged In Media Network. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Rob. Uh, most importantly, you know, thanks, Todd. Thanks, Kimberly and uh, Tara for you know, sharing your stories and for deciding to join this, uh, this mission, this journey, this journey. Yeah. yeah. Thank you guys, Damien and Tara. Yeah. Nah, this is cool. Good job guys. All right. Uh, what do I say, Dave? Out. <laughs> From darkness to life is an our collective journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please consider supporting OCJ by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate. All proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Thank you for listening.